WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is the co-creator of the image series Deadly Class and Gravediggers Union and is about to launch his new creator-owned fantasy adventure series, Kaya, Wes Craig. Welcome, Wes. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So we will ask you the official first-time guest question. Uh, what are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Uh, yeah, the first uh, first comic that I got into was uh, Teen Titans by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. That was the first thing that really got me like like digging in the long boxes and trying to complete my my run. You know, I think it was uh, it maybe issue sixteen or something like that. Um, and yeah, I'll, like going back, trying to find the old issues and then going on to the Trigon saga and all the stuff that came afterwards. I was like a, a huge fan of George Perez. And at that age that I was, it was perfect for me because it was like they were not, um, it was still comic books for kids. But at my age, it was like a little bit under where they were aiming for maybe. So it felt like, you know, like to me, it felt matured. To me, it didn't feel like I was being spoken down to or anything. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, before that, it was my dad getting me and my brother comic books when we were just looking to probably just to keep us occupied at the mall or something. And uh, he got us, we're, I, I live in Montreal. So they, uh, mm-hmm. if there's a French English population here, uh, French and English. And so he got us some French translations of these Marvel comics uh, that were just black and white translated into French. So the first stuff that I saw was just purely visual because I didn't, I couldn't read French at the time. Mm-hmm. Um that was that was the first stuff like when we were really really young but yeah the first thing that got me into it got me hooked was teen titans i I like that black and white french marvel translation it just makes everything it just makes everything seem classier it it does it does i think there's like it's weird because i've always loved black and white comics like when i was a kid it's like it's such an old comic book book but i remember like getting into the will eisner's the spirit Mm -hmm. and i love I love manga. Like I love like Lone Wolf and, Lone Wolf and Cub speaking of which is like a huge influence on Kaya, for example. Sure. And like, mm-hmm. I, lo- I love that when I was a kid. Um, and I think maybe I'm wondering if that was part of it is that it's just like, I, I never had the thing. The first things I saw in comic books were black and white. So when I didn't see them, when I saw them in color, it blew my mind, but I was also kind of like adapted to like the black and white version. So it didn't kind of, it didn't turn me off when I, when I saw comics that were in black and white. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. Curious, as, as somebody who came up with the Wolfman and Perez Titans, do you have a favorite arc uh, or, or story from that era? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's got, I mean, like, yeah, the Trigon, like I mentioned, the Trigon saga, that mm-hmm. was the thing mm-hmm. where it was like, they were always good, but then they were just kind of just, everything was leveled up a bit, you know, the, it seemed like it was all... I mean, it's a monthly series. I'm sure Marvel was just kind of making it up, relatively speaking. You know, him and Perez would get together and talk story, apparently. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, but I f- it felt like it had all kind of merged into this perfect storm of everything. And, and, and George Perez's art for that was just that much more, kind of like brought it even harder for that one, you know? Uh, just remember these towers of souls and stuff. In, in Trigon's dimension and just I was like oh my god it's crazy you look at it like all of the tiny little figures would all be these perfect and you know George Perez style just the level of detail and perfect anatomy was just would, would blow my mind you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that was a good one absolutely but uh yeah you are here to talk about Kaya which is your new image series uh with colorist Jason Wardy uh lettering by uh, Amworld Design launching October 5th as of this recording uh here is the solicit text for the reader matt i will let you do the honors after the destruction of their village a young girl with a magic arm and a fighting spirit is tasked with delivering her little brother to a faraway safe haven there he's destined to discover the secret to overthrowing the all-powerful empire that destroyed their home so uh this is this next bit is from an Instagram post that you had made listing the influences that went into Kaya. Uh, we already yeah. mentioned Lone Wolf and Cub. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, Commandy, Hellboy, Adventure Time, Conan, Bone, Stand By Me. That's that's everything. That's everything good. It's in there. Uh, you know, uh, and, and at the same time, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in conversation with folks like, you know, Jeff Smith, Mike Mignola, Jack Kirby, you know. Is there, is there a little bit of pressure to that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you always kind of, uh, I mean, not, not, 
not really because uh, everybody's everybody's inspired by the greats you know it doesn't mean that you necessarily uh you aspire yourself to be like i'm not i'm not trying to put myself like and kaya will be the next one up there with all of those <laughs> names it's more just like these are some of the greats of all time and uh you know you could say you're inspired by watchmen without saying that my my next thing is gonna be watchmen like uh, obviously i would if i if i could if 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 Kaya did well enough and was you know uh, I I have hopes that it will be loved enough by by readers out there that I can continue to do it for a while. But um, for me, yeah, it's like I just kind of those are those are some of the things I was looking to as 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 big inspirations. I uh, the pressure is not really the pressure for me. I, I feel like I'm just very excited to do the story and I'm enjoying being in this world so much. I've been waiting to. I've been I've been doing Deadly Class for many years now, and I've had Kaya on the back burner for a very long time, kind of slowly building it in my mind, slowly writing it out. Um, but now's the chance to do it, and I really, for me, the the main thing is just hopefully people dig it enough that I can do it for a while because I'm enjoying being in this in this world. You know, getting to the drawing board is very easy every day because I just want to kind of jump back in there. You know, absolutely. So uh, let's let's start at the very beginning. You know what what is the origin of Kaya? Um, the origin of uh, the origin of like like within the book or or uh, as a creator oh, like creating as, as yeah you conceiving you know creating hmm. the series etc. Uh, yeah, it started like there's a few different stages to it. It started with I swear like so well. You know how Eric uh, Eric Larson at, at Image Comics, one of the original creators of, of Image Comics. Like he, the first book he did and the book he's still doing to this day is Savage Dragon. And it's like this thing that had been with him. He had created it when he was a kid. He just kind of kept advancing it and evolving it as he went on until it was like ready for, for the wider public. And it's a little bit like that in a way. Not I didn't create it when I was a kid, but I created it a long time ago before I got into comics professionally. I created a, a comic book called The Third Kingdom. And it was a bit like my... I, I love Norse mythology and it was kind of my take on like the Odin, uh, Loki, Thor, kind of that kind of trio of gods, that dynamic that they have, uh, similar to the Marvel version, but a little bit, the Norse mythology version is a bit different. Mm -hmm. um, but I just want to do my kind of sci-fi fantasy version of those those characters and that, and that, and just create this kind of world that's so far, it's earth, but it's so far in the future that it looks like our ancient past. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like our current civilization is, is long, long buried and there's still relics of our, of our sci-fi and our tech and stuff, but like the people of the future, they're so far in the future. They don't under, they, they understand it as like magic. If they find an iPad, they would think it was magic or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, uh, so in my rambling, I'm kind of forgetting. Oh yeah. So it started off as third kingdom. I pitched it to image, but it was so long ago. Like the art was okay. The writing was not there yet. I was just too green. I, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I hadn't put in enough of my uh, 10,000 hours or however they say to get, <laughs> kind of get to that level of, of, of writing, you know, like I was just kind of the art I had been doing a lot more. The concept I thought was kind of cool, but the writing, the page by page kind of writing and stuff wasn't quite there yet. So I, took that, you know, it's like nothing that didn't go anywhere. I don't even remember like who the publisher was of, of image at the time. It might've been like Jim Valentino or something. It was like really a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I still, I love that world. And I don't think I had a character that really brought that world to life that really dramatized the world. And eventually like years later, Kaya, Kaya kind of came in there and at first she started off as a, as an adult, just a badass adult hunter. And then I thought, what if, what if she's younger? What if she, and then if she's on her, on her own, on this long road, she has to have somebody beside her to be able to talk to, to be able to kind of bounce off of. Mm -hmm. So then Jin, her younger brother kind of appeared. So yeah, slowly, but surely it's like over the years, pieces would appear and finally it became like, oh, now I'm really excited. This is a cool world. I have people that can kind of like take you through it. Um, and yeah, and then it was a matter of like, I felt confident in it. And by the time it reached that stage though, I was probably just starting deadly class. So, you know, I'm completely committed to like doing this deadly class, doing deadly class, keeping it as monthly as possible, keeping it to a regular schedule. So it, ha it had to wait until I was done that. Uh, so now here we are. Now's the time to uh, take the next, you know, try try out the next thing. And yeah, Kaya, that is, uh, that's what it is. Now, as this, this project has evolved and you're dealing with two, younger uh, protagonists in Kaya and Jin, 
you know, did it become something where like you found that you were looking to make something that, you know, your kids could read or that was inspired by them in any way? Uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah, that, that is a, that is a thing where it's like my, well, my, the, <laughs> my kids right now are, are four and two years old, so they wouldn't really be able to read the stuff I draw with them and stuff like that. But that level of comic books are, they're not there yet, but yeah, it's like, what does daddy do? He draws comic books. Oh, what, what comic book does he do? Deadly class. Can I read it? No way. <laughs> you know, that is not for you. I get, I get that at, at conventions and stuff. Yeah. Where it's people will come up like, is this uh, okay for a kid? And I'm like, uh, how old, you know, like, cause it's not, it's not for everybody. You gotta be at a certain age. Us reading comic books, I'm sure you guys have similar experiences. I read stuff that I maybe wasn't ready for when I was, say, 13 years old or something. Everybody, you know, you see movies before you're ready, read comic books before you're ready. Mm -hmm. But generally, you don't you don't want to be the person that gives them some kind of super gnarly thing to look at uh, until they're able to, to deal with it. So yeah, that was that was one of the things I felt kind of like it'd be cool if I could hand them hand this to them when they're a bit older and say, like, this is what daddy, this is what I do, um, if they're interested in that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that is, that is a thing for sure. It's being able to kind of have a wider, not a wider audience, just being able to kind of like open it up to whoever wants to read it. If they're young, old, whatever mm -hmm. that would be. Uh, yeah. That'd be nice. Matt, refresh my memory, uh, plugging your other podcast here. How old were you when you read killing joke for the first time? Eleven. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it, for me too, it was like around there and man, that was rough. Oh, it was yeah. a few, it was coming. Cause it's like, that was a tough time because it's like there's com most comic books were you know dc and marvel the stuff that's readily available to kids when you walk into a comic shop mm -hmm. a ton of it is still made for kids but then there's these other things and you're being sold the same stuff so it's like i'm reading like Ron like a lot of you know that era right killing joke ronin and dark Knight returns and killing joke specifically I, I read faust when i was way too young like that was I, I, didn't, I didn't read it as much as look at it and then like close it quickly you know because it was just like <laughs> wow what is that about um, so it happens, you know, but like, uh, yeah, it's funny. 11, 11 killing joke. That's, that's pretty rough, man. Seeing, yeah. seeing yeah. Batgirl get shot when you're 11 is uh, no coming back from that. <laughs> nope. And they were, they were swearing and it's like, yeah, I didn't know they could say those words in a comic. Yeah. Very true. It's true. <laughs> so, uh, curious, what is, what has been your favorite thing to draw in the book? uh so far that isn't a spoiler because obviously it's not out yet but just yeah. in general in terms of like a character or scenery or something like that uh well i have kind of a perfect vision of, of kaya and jin that i don't always nail and it frustrates me a little bit when i don't quite like it's like it's so clear in my head that it that when i get it even a little bit wrong it kind of it kind of bugs me a little bit you know but um I'm getting there though. That's one of those things like deadly class. It was the same way. It took me a while before I kind of really solidified, like in the first few issues, they're not quite exactly figured out yet. And it takes you a while to get there. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought because I've been drawing superheroes before deadly class and then deadly class, just like teenagers uh, in the eighties for so long, it's like, how am I, am I going to be able to draw some of these other fantasy elements? You know, just because I haven't really tr tackled much of that in the past uh in the past really long time. Mm -hmm. So like in the first issue, there's all these, there's these characters that are, they're called the, the, the lizard riders. They're lizards that ride uh, bigger lizards, basically. Uh, so, you know, like intelligent lizards riding lizards mm -hmm. that are more like animal like lizards. And uh, so then I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to pull this off. So I did a little bit of research of drawing lizards, you know, sketching like actual lizards and trying to adapt that and figuring out how their faces work and their anatomy and everything. And uh, yeah, I'm like pleasantly surprised. Like they look, they look very cool and I'm um, what weird perspectives to draw them in and stuff. They're, they're turning out pretty, uh, pretty cool. And I'm like, okay, so it feels kind of like it's natural to me to draw this world. That's, that gives me some, some, some confidence, you know, when you're, what you need when you're doing page after page after page of this stuff. Speaking of those lizard riders, uh, one of the, the lizard riders, sort of the, the main lizard rider is a lizard rider named Seth. And, he has this mop of blonde hair, which first I, I, I love an unusual design. So it's like, oh, he's a lizard man with hair. Yeah. Okay. But the, the blonde hair and the bandana, is that a commandy riff or was it just sort of 
a it's general design aesthetic because it, it i just i think of blondes and dystopian futures and with commodity mentioned above it kind of popped into my head yeah that, that makes sense for sure well it, it probably they come from a similar source where i think of him as being a bit of a surfer dude kind of a guy where he's just got like the or a this is silly, but like not, you know, not that he's like Justin Bieber, but that kind of hair where you're always, Hey, how's it going? And like, fly, people can't see this, but when you're flopping back your, your, your blonde locks, so they can, the, the girl can see your face and hopefully fall in love. That kind of a uh, dude, you know? <laughs> he's like that, but he's a lizard. So it's a little a bit of a strange because he's like, potentially he kind of likes Kaya and they have a bit of a history. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, I, I, but I was thought, I just thought it would be funny that, that, He's like potentially a romantic interest, but he's also like a, a lizard, <laughs> like a lizard man or a lizard boy. So uh, yeah, that's the idea is that he's a bit like some of the lizards are more kind of punk, um, punk style. They have leather jackets and stuff, a little bit like the Warriors, maybe that movie from back in the day where they each each gang has their own thing. And it's a little bit, <laughs> yeah, there's some punks on one side and, and uh, Seth's side is a bit more on the hippie side. So they have these, Again, relics from an ancient world where they dig up, you know, peace symbols and leather jackets, and they use that as maybe their 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 you know that uh, their gang symbols in a way. So that's that's what he is. He's a bit more of a of the cool like hippy dippy kind of guy, and the other guys are punks, so they don't they don't get along. So you you talked about how this series has evolved over time, and one of the things with this is that Jin a Jin in the future is narrating mm -hmm. the series. When did that come in and how did you decide on him being the narrator? Cause in my head that gives Kaya herself a certain degree of stakes because you know, Jin makes it to the end, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that opens up a lot of things. I, I just, I like narration in comics because Unlike movies, I just think it can, you know, sometimes in movies, sometimes it works in movies. And like I said, Stand By Me, I like it a lot. It fills you in on this extra, a few extra elements, like, like they can kind of give you the setup. Like there's a, in Stand By Me, there's a thing where they have to run, run away from this dog, right? That like attacks them. And the narration sets you up right away with, this is a guy we've seen before. He has a dog he tells the dog to uh, uh sick balls basically and they you know they they give you the setup so they don't have to worry about that they just the kids get in there and right away they you know what the deal is you know what the stakes are and they can just jump right into the story so there's a certain aspect of that that i like to do with comic books i, I think that's useful in comic books if it's done right I, i'm still learning how much to put in how little to put in that's a, an evolving process for me just to figure out the right balance but um yeah i think and that's that's a huge part too is that we know that Jin makes it to a certain age. We don't know if he achieved his goal, though there's a goal that they want to achieve. They want to make it to this monk island. He's got this kind of prophetic future in front of him. I don't say whether that happens or not. I don't say if Kaya makes it. I don't say, you know, it's like, yeah, that's that's part of it is just giving these little teases to the audience. And, and you know, hopefully that leads, leads them to the next issue and the next issue. Um, and the other thing is, the beginning of the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, Conan movie, there's like narration at the beginning and it's this guy that's out, that's with him throughout, uh, not throughout the movie, but like halfway through the movie. And he, he becomes his, you know, the person that tells the tale of, of Conan. Mm -hmm. uh, and I kind of pictured Jin, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to say he might be a few years older than he is in the story. He might be ancient. He might be whatever, but I did kind of picture that, that, craggy voice of that conan narrator is like what if that was Jin? you know like it's like what if it was years and years in the future that was the initial thought where he actually is in the story i don't uh, that's a bit of a thing to be revealed uh, you know far in the future but it could also be richard drivis's voiceover and standby <laughs> <laughs> that would work too that would work too yeah just a wiser person. It's a, it's like that. It's like wonder, wonder years when I was growing up as a kid, it's that same kind of idea where it's like, there's this older man looking back on himself as a child, as a kid and being like, some things were great. Some things I was an idiot about, you know, just that I, I find that kind of that, that mul those multiple perspectives uh, can be very interesting. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so Rear's got their first look at Kaya in the image 30th anniversary anthology. Mm -hmm. Was that planned? Did you have 
you know, know that that was going to be where it came with from Go? Or had you sort of written issue one, then the anthology came a knocking and you're like, okay, mm. going to create a prequel to go in there. It's, um, man, it's been a while since I did some of this stuff. So, and my memory is not like, not the best. I just uh, like that for the details of this stuff, it, some mm -hmm. of it's just kind of a wash, but it's like, I wanted to do like a 16 or whatever, 16 or so page thing that was really like, what's everything, the basics of what you need to know for this world with the hopes of, we well, for, for one thing, Deadly Class was on a break uh, just before we came back with this, these final two arcs. And that was a lot of pandemic stuff and Rick being a little burnt out with just the TV show and the comics and everything. Mm. It was just a lot of stuff. So we were taking a break there. And uh, I took that time to do this first this first thing for Kaya, which is kind of like a Kaya zero. And that started off as, um, as a digital comic book that I said, I set it up as kind of a pay what you want um, online. And I'll, and I emailed out the comic books to, to everybody. They, through PayPal, they just pay, it's like a pay me 10 cents, pay me a dollar, pay me whatever. And I'll, and I'll send this comic to you just because I like that model of like uh panel syndicate and uh, Radiohead back in the day did that with one of their albums and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to try that out. Um, so there was that. So I already had that. And then it's like, there's this thing. It's just, to me, it was like, well, it's a, like a free thing now. So I'm going to start the, the first issue of Kaya is its own story. Uh, separate from that it's more like the first issue is where the the story arc really starts to begin the the the, the 16 page kaya zero thing is just more of a finite finished story that that just tells you what the deal is with this world so i did the digital thing first and then i knew there was an image or i found out there was an image anthology so i i emailed eric stevenson i said hey hey i got a comic can i put it in there you know <laughs> just like trying to get it in as many places as i can um so that was spot number two and then when that was almost done, I just, I was going to make a website, but I was like, just meeting my deadlines is tough enough as it is. So I said, mm -hmm. okay, well, there's, there's Webtoon. That's an easy place to upload this stuff. So now it's on Webtoon for free. So I, I just use it as kind of like anybody that's interested. There's no, um, it's easy access. It's free. If you have an internet connection, you can check it out. And if you like it by the comic, if not cool, you know, like I just wanted to have something out there that wasn't just a one or two pages. I wanted to have like a, a real story to to give people as a as a tryout um so yeah it served it served me well it's it, it's a good place to kind of get it into multiple different places because it's just like my free comic absolutely and, you know and, and that was the thing i was going to say you know image now between the the 30th anniversary anthology and also uh you know what, what the skybound folks are doing with skybound x you mm -hmm. know it's creating these opportunities for creators who have series coming up in you know the next one to three months or whatever to be like here's a taste you know, final order cut off is uh, you know whatever date it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, you know, I was curious about the the webtoon thing. You know, it's it's probably you know we, we can't tell. Again, FOC is next week. It's it's twelfth. Uh, but I was wondering how much of a driver you saw it being up on webtoon, uh, being you know people going from a a web comic site to check out a more traditional uh periodical yeah i was wondering about that i don't really like i didn't see too big of a reaction on there because but i wasn't really assuming there would be just because just by judging by like what's generally on there obviously it's hugely influenced by manga it seems to me like a, a huge portion of the comics that are on there are manga or manga influenced stuff so I was like, that's fine. There's a few things on there. Like I saw Simon Roy, the artist uh, for Profit, and he's a writer artist for a bunch of really cool image image titles that he's done over the years. And he he's putting his newest thing on there. So I said, okay, so there's there's people that are doing their own thing in different styles. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I haven't really checked in terms of analytics and all that kind of stuff about how many clicks, how many people, how many, whatever. Um, I do that for some things just, just sort of curiosity, like, uh, but for Webtoon, I, I, again, it's like so only so many hours in the day to really check this stuff. And I was like, I'll yeah. just put it on there and not really worry about it. Just, just wanted as many people as possible to, to give it a read, you know, it's, it's all gravy. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. That's what I figured. You talked in the beginning of the issue, issue, the beginning of the episode about, uh, those Wolfman Perez Titans and reading them and <coughs> that while they were, you know, still comics for kids, they weren't, you felt like they weren't 
talking down to you. Mm-hmm. With Kaya, are you writing this in a similar sort of, I mean, you sort of talked about it, all ages vibe where you're trying to really present it in that multi-layered, you know, not talking down to kids, but kids will get it on one level, adults will get it on another level sort of thing. Yeah, I think I am. Yeah, something like, for sure. That's, um, I think that's what I'm aiming for. It's a weird thing, like these classifications, you know, like saying all ages, it's like, I say it, but then I'm like, but it's not, it's not like, like, I don't, I don't try to, it's not a sailor moon or I, I don't know, like a, a, a good modern reference of whatever that would be. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's influenced by adventure time, but it's not adventure time. It's like, mm-hmm. it's more of a Lord of the Rings or, or teen Titans or whatever, where it's like, you can read it and there's not excessive amounts of, of gore, sex, swearing, etc. Like, you know, it's just kind of like you, if the, the it's a dangerous world. So those, so that the violence is there, but if it's too much, it, the violence is more like implied. It's not really like shown or, you know what I mean? Like that kind of, there's, there's just way old school ways of showing that stuff without showing it uh, in all in, you know, putting stuff off camera, if it needs, needs to be off camera, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that is probably what I'm going for is kind of like an, you know, hopefully an intelligent comic book, but uh, something that, that can be read by uh by an adult and you get yeah like a probably too many people use the pixar reference but a little bit like that where you can you know you can read it with your kid you get one thing out of it but you're kind of laughing at some jokes they're laughing at they're laughing at the fart jokes you're they're laughing you're <laughs> you know you're laughing at the jokes that are over their head that kind of mm-hmm. a thing i find you know it's an enjoyable experience for uh, uh for both i think so that's the that's the the me i don't know maybe not the gold standard but something to aim for in some in some way that kind of a that kind of a way of doing things where, yeah, you can, you can enjoy it on multiple, like different levels, different ages. Yeah. So Kaya number one is dropping the week before the last issue of deadly class, which is, you know, the series that you've been working on for almost a decade with Rick Remender, you know, what was, I, I guess, what is, what was the actual timeline for you, in terms of production, like you're, you're down to the last like couple pages, I think of the last issue now, correct. In terms of drawing. Yeah. Yeah. I've got like three pages left to draw or something like that. This week is the last week coming up. I mean, we're on labor day today, so it didn't happen today, but yeah, by the end of this week, it'll be done. It's a very strange feeling. Um, But yeah, it was like this last few last two months or so have been killing me a little bit because I'm just not, I'm not as far ahead on Kaya as I wanted to be. I, once deadly class is wrapped up, I will be able to kind of speed up and get, mm-hmm. get ahead of schedule. I mean, I'm, I'm on a good schedule, but I really wanted to be like way, you know, some, the, the safe distance that image usually gives is like, you got to be like three issues done before the first issue yeah. is solicited or comes out or whatever. And I'm not quite there. And I wish that I was like 10 issues ahead, but I, I would never be, you know, <laughs> I, I wish I could just be so far ahead that I would not have to worry about deadlines at all, but that's not, realistic Mm -hmm. and uh the last few issues of deadly class they just they uh you know they take time the last issue is like 38 pages so it's a huge last issue so that's extra time and again kids in daycare they come home next thing you know they have a cold or there's covid things you're dodging covid bullets all over the place and uh so yeah there's things that get in the way it's a little bit tough to get it get it done but uh it's you don't beat yourself up over it because there's really only so much you can do. There's only so many hours once I put the kids to bed. Only so many days in a week that I can go after hours and like try to draw a bit more, but I'm super, but I'm tired, you know, so I'm getting as much done as I can. But again, once this week is over and I'm able to fully focus on Kaya, I think I can really speed up quite a bit and get to where, uh, slowly but surely get to where I want to be, where I'm I'm quite a a bit ahead of the deadlines. Yeah. What was your sort of, I guess, time management in going back and forth between the two books so you know were there points in your schedule where you're like okay today i gotta get caught up on deadly class but tomorrow i'm gonna get you know a page ahead on on you know kaya number one or whatever yeah there was a bit of that for sure it was like uh two things like uh some some days deadly class pages would come in i'd be more either more focused or it's just an easier page and i'd be like done maybe before i had to go and get the kids from daycare. So if I had an hour left over, I'd be like, okay, maybe you can get 
get one or two panels done or whatever of, of, of Kaya, um, which I found actually kind of difficult because it's always my style, but I'm drawing Kaya slightly differently. You know, Deadly Class mm -hmm. is a bit more jaggedy, a bit more punk rock, and Kaya is a bit more smooth and a bit more, um, not cartoony, it's almost the same, but there's a, there's slight little adjustments for, to each, each, each story uh, to suit the story. So it'd be hard to like stop my Deadly Class frame of mind and then kind of jump into the Kaya thing. I'd find that I was drawing it still like I draw Deadly Class, more jagged, and I was like, oh no, I gotta like change, change up how I'm, <laughs> how I'm thinking. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I'd finish an issue at the class and be like, okay, so it's going to take Rick, maybe like Rick Remender, the, the writer of the series, mm -hmm. it's going to take him maybe, you know, two, three days before he can get me the script for the next one. So I'll just try to fit in as much Kaya stuff as, uh, as possible, which again, it's like over time that burns you out. What you should be doing between issues is just chilling out maybe for a day or two. And just, you know, <laughs> like every, everybody needs a few days off in between major projects, you know? So that's what, that's the thing is now, but now once I'm on one comic book, again, straight, just one comic book, they'll be able to get back to that where I can take just whatever, just one day off between issues. That's all I really need. Just that little break. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that it was some serious time management stuff of being like, okay, so how many pages can I do before the next script comes in? You know, like does the next script comes in and I go, damn, I only got two issue, two pages done at this next issue. And yeah, a lot of that stuff, a lot of juggling for a while, but it's all good. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I can't complain. It was, it's, it's fun trying to, it's fun being able to work those two different styles and being able to have two different things you're working on that you're excited for both of them. So it's nice. Is, is one of those styles, you know, either, either you know the 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 jaggedness of of deadly class or you know the the kind of smoother rounder more min, you know minimalist uh kaya you know is one more labor intensive than the other um yeah i th yeah I, th I think deadly class is more labor intensive in terms of like there's not more work but the kaya world is more organic because it's kind of like this um again it's a sci-fi but it's more of an ancient civilization type of world so mm -hmm. So if you draw in castles, it's not like, it's not the same. It's, it's relatively organic because it's clay or it's brick or it's whatever molding and falling apart and stuff like that. Uh, and you're drawing animals, you're drawing trees, lots of organic shapes. And uh, in deadly class, it is what it is. It's just like, it's the 1980s. So it's, you know, there's, there's cars, there's motorcycles, there's brick and, and steel uh, and glass buildings and stuff. So the perspective has to be, you know, it's a bit more labor intensive in that way where things have to look right you can't just kind of draw the bike how you how you want to draw it it's got to look like a 1980s uh, motorcycle or something you know stuff like that and i think yeah like rick has his style and i i kind of have i put in a lot of panels on that stuff and rick also puts in a lot of panels so it's like 56 issues but also it's like most of those pages are you know six seven panels per page um which is a lot like when there's, when it's that pretty consistently, that does kind of uh, that's a lot of drawing, you know? So yeah, there, it, it is more labor intensive to draw deadly class for sure. But on the other hand, I do, um, I, I do a few less panels per, per page on Kaya, but also there is still quite a bit of detail and I do kind of a watercolor uh, thing. Um, I do, there's like black inks, but there's also some watercolor stuff, which once in a while I would do for deadly class for dream sequences and stuff like that. But for Kaya, it's like all the time, like every page. And then, uh, Jason Wordy goes over and works his magic where he kind of uses that and makes it very painterly. Um, so that on that side, that's pretty labor intensive too. So, um, in just in different ways. Yeah, I also, I have to imagine, you know, I don't purport to know the division of labor between you and Rick apart from, you know, what you know writer and artist obviously but with kaya you know it, because it's your show you know i imagine you're probably doing a lot more of the back-end stuff that comes with putting out a comic through image as well yeah for sure yeah that's one of those things too it's and this promotion period that i'm in right now where it's talking on podcasts and just tweeting and instagramming all the time and trying mm -hmm. to find interesting ways of getting the word out there getting people excited trying to get people excited that don't know your stuff just trying to reach beyond that like just the people that are all right you want to reach just your fans but also you want to try to what, what can i do to kind of like get get out as much as possible that's like a whole other like occupation you got to do a few hours per day and um 
yeah so it it, it uh, and and then yeah there's there's just at the back and forth with image just being like we need we need the we need the cover for this month we need this next bit of information because amazon and barnes and nobles and all these need their trade paperback information for the for a year ahead and you know like yeah there's a few different things to to come your way um again though i kind of like it in a way because it's like I don't know. It just feels like you end up knowing a lot more about how comic books work, like the inner workings between comic book shops, the creators, the fans, the whole kind of uh, whatever uh, ecosystem, as they say, like how it, uh, how it all interacts, you know, whereas when you're drawing comics for say DC and Marvel, you're just drawing the comic books and they take care of that stuff. And in working for image, you see how much shipping costs, you see how much printing, you know, like they get you a rundown of the, the printing shipping uh, multiple varying covers and all this all bloody blah all this stuff you know so it's like you end up learning a lot more about all of the all of the inner workings which long term makes you a a better you know I mean not necessarily a better creator but a better businessman I guess mm-hmm. absolutely so since you since you started deadly class in you know 2013 14 uh what what's something that you feel like has changed about the way you make you're you're making comics in all that time. Um, I think I've well, I don't know. That's a tough one, but I, I I think over time doing Deadly Class, I kind of like solidified my personal style and not like I used to do a bit more of. Uh, I would sample different people's like I'd be more influenced by other people's style people that I, that I admired. Um, and now I feel a bit more comfortable just in doing what, doing my own thing. Um, and over that time, it's like a lot of, a lot of this stuff hasn't come to light necessarily, but I wrote Gravediggers Union like halfway through Deadly Class. And I've written a few other things where it's like, they're in different stages. None of them have actually come out yet. Some of them, it's like, I take them to a certain level and I go, it's missing something and I got to bring it a little bit further back to the, to the beginning stages and stuff. So I, I, I've got a few other things like that, that I'd like to pitch to other, uh, um, other artists down the line. Once Kaya is really up and running and I'm not, <laughs> you know, one thing at a time, I'm going to get <laughs> Kaya up and running before I stress myself out with trying to do some other book. But, uh, but mm-hmm. when that is, the machine is a bit more up and running, I'd like to kind of present a few more ideas to other artists and see if they're in interested um so that's another thing too is just while i was working on deadly class i saw that as an opportunity to kind of like okay so beginning of each day just before you do the comic book stuff that pays the bills to maybe take an hour an hour and a half two hours whatever you can possibly eke out and and just do some writing you know and just kind of it doesn't seem like much in the day doing an hour each day but like hour by hour, week by week, that does build up into, into something. Um, and it does kind of, you're, you're able to get that practice in, you know? So, uh, so that's, that's something I've been working on a lot while I was, while I was doing deadly class. Yeah. Um, you know, getting, getting into a little bit of uh, deadly class, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that's a series, you know, there's, there's always been, uh, politics in it, you know, starting off with kind of commentary on Reagan's America but the series yeah. is ending on, you know, a time jump nearly the present day. Uh, the most recent issue, Marcus and Maria are on the beach, you know, during the pandemic, kind of hiding out. And, and Marcus is is lamenting current events. You know, does it does it feel different? I guess dealing with dealing with stuff not thirty years removed. Yeah, I think. Uh... I mean, definitely, you know, obviously a lot of that is, is Rick's stuff. We, me and Rick would get on the phone and talk this stuff out a, a lot of the time. Um, each issue we talk before we, before he kind of commits it to, to the script, you know, he kind of talks me through it and we, if things, certain aspects aren't working, we can chalk, talk it over and see if we can get it a little bit stronger, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think he's always, even the past stuff, it's always with a, with a filter of like, look at how this isn't this hasn't changed today you know like look looking at the reagan stuff it's it's there's definitely a lot of parallels with what was going on what's going on later it's just this repeating history of Mm -hmm. of people coming in and and taking money out of social programs and stuff like that you know these things kind of keep on happening so i think he was looking at that but also being like this this stuff just keeps recurring through time um 
I think there was that. And also, but I, I do think in terms of the life of teenagers, maybe that's just so different that that's kind of a thing where it's like the life of a teenager in the eighties is pretty different from the life of a teenager now, just in terms of there was no internet and scenes were very different and, yeah. you know, that kind of goes up and down, but in terms of like the, any kind of underground scene, it's very different now than it was back then where it was much more, it was just tougher to, you had to search for you to find your people that love the stuff that you loved. Now, mm-hmm. now it's a bit, it's, it's still like that. It's just, you know, a lot of it's online and a lot of it's very accessible. You can find these obscure bands and, and songs and stuff. And back in the day, you'd have to kind of like go to some grubby old, little similar to the old school comic shops. You go to these grubby oh, yeah. old places where it's like, <laughs> the owner doesn't want you in there, but you find your way in and you're just digging through there going, Oh my God, there's this uh, operation Ivy uh, tape from back in the, you know, like Mm -hmm. I remember this place in Montreal called Mars and that's what it was there. It was just the dankest place ever, but it, and there was no organization. There was no nothing, but you just kind of dug and dug and dug in there until you found that thing that you were looking for that, that would make you like a little small town hero. when you go back home, like I found this record or this tape or whatever, you know, and they, people would go, Oh man, I can't believe you found that which is, you know, anyway, going on, I'm rambling, but it's, uh, uh, yeah, those are, those, that's something that's very different, but I think the stuff of politics and the swing from right to left and all that kind of stuff is just a, a recurring theme through time, you know? Sure. Uh, how much I, did you find yourself, you know, as, as time advances within the world of the book, uh, tweaking your art to, reflect the different eras like i like i imagine fashion obviously is a big part mm-hmm. of that but you know were there other things yeah um i'm trying to think yeah i i think you know i would have done deeper dives on it if i it, i guess that's the thing of of uh like working on a deadline comic where it's like you'd like to just do a ton of research on every specific era like a lot of it just goes through some memory stuff where you go, what do you remember it being like? You know, there's, there's certain things when it jumps, the first jump they do is kind of into like 1991 and it's, is it 1991? I forget, but it's like Nirvana has come out. The grunge era is here. So that's an obvious one with obvious plaid shirt touchstones and you know, longer hair and that kind of era, that kind of stuff. And I remember that's more, there's just a slight difference in me and Rick's age. I'm just maybe like two years younger or something. So he's just slightly more in the eighties and I'm slightly more in the nineties. So for Uh me, that was a big thing for me is when I got into high school, it's like Nirvana came along and that blew away all of this, this 1980s stuff that was going on like poison and uh, Motley Crue and that kind of eighties era stuff kind of got like, that's, that's the eighties. And now this is the nineties. So for me, it was like, that's what made high school like my era and not like my, you know, this previous generation stuff. Sure. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm totally blanking on the question again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, in terms of the research and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that was an obvious one. But in terms of like the middle stuff, it's like, yeah, there's, it, it's kind of, you know, fashion goes from like tight pants to baggy pants to tight pants. To, you know, it's a, a little bit like politics, the fashion kind of <laughs> each, each era is trying to compare, be different than the previous era. So they just end up going bouncing back and forth between, you know, the, the punk, the punk tight aesthetic to the hippie baggy aesthetic to back and forth, mm-hmm. back and forth, it seems. Um, and then cell phones kind of, once that gets in the mix, it's like, that changes everything. Cause then it's like, everybody has a cell phone. Like, you yeah. know, like that, that's, that's a, a big thing where it suddenly becomes like, I don't know exactly when that happens, but you know, like a few people have some flip phones and then all of a sudden just everybody has the, the iPad or the, or the iPhone or the whatever. Yeah. Um, and that, that changes a lot of stuff. Cause uh, in terms of the story, in terms of how people reach each other, in terms of just, just drawing people on the street, it's like, well, like, three out of these five people will just be staring down at their phone just because that's what you see when you walk around, you know, just how it is. Um, so yeah, and, and little, little things like that are kind of cool to, to look, if you read the whole, the whole thing, I'm working on them month by month by month, but if you look at them kind of tightly in a trade paperback, it probably looks kind of cool. The slight, the slight changes that happen each, each time jump. In the beginning of the series, there's just one guy walking down the street and very loudly just being on his phone. Like, yeah. <laughs> you never guess where I'm calling you from. 
Yeah, <laughs> those giant, those giant 1980s ones that were like a brick, right? Yes, yes, the Zach yeah. Moore special, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh you know this is this is a series about a, a group of people trained from childhood to kill so you know death comes fast and furious you know game of thrones don't get too attached but you know were there any characters and and maybe this is even more true now that the series is winding down but that you've gotten so attached to that that when it came time to to kill them kill them off you were like ah fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah a few of them uh one that just happened is strangely uh, uh, not. <laughs> there's one that just happened, just that just came out. I won't spoil anything, but yeah, it's not okay. a per, not not a person that you not the person you're thinking of, the other person. But anyway, uh, <laughs> just because I, I I liked that character quite a bit, but I she never got quite the shine that I was that I was hoping uh, hoping they would. Anyway, read that issue. Hopefully, I'm not spoiling anything there. There's a lot of. Uh, Anyway, I'll, I'll stop talking about that before I yeah. say it too much. But previously, <laughs> many, many, many issues ago, which hopefully hasn't been spoiled for anybody because it happened a long time ago. If you, I'm trying to think of which trade paperback that happens in, but if you haven't, if there's deadly class readers that still haven't gotten to the point where there's a, a culling of the of the students, then uh, just, I don't know, skip this part or stop listening for a minute or something <laughs> like that. Just hum to yourself. But uh, uh, yeah, I think uh i think willie and and billy both of those guys were really tough when they uh when they left i i really liked both of them and i loved having i just felt like billy was an important character in that in that in that um in the group mm. because everybody's kind of emo uh, kind of down like a lot of depressed kids and it's like you kind of need that guy around that's just the joker so he he was that guy. He was that guy that was, that was making light of the situation, making light of Marcus. Uh, um, I felt like he was like a, a necessary thing. So yeah, it was a bit, and I just liked him. I, I like when I was a kid. That's the character that I would look up to, up to in the movies or something. Like I mm. liked uh, uh, like Emilio Estevez playing a two bit in uh, the Outsiders when I was a little kid. Okay, <laughs> he was kind of like my like I was like I always loved that kind of character. Like just the joker you know just the kind of guy that's everyone else is very serious and he's just like man just relax it's not it's not like sees that the teenage world is not as serious as the teenagers think it is mm -hmm. um, so yeah when he when he bit it it was uh it was uh, it was rough <laughs> <laughs> so in the, in the middle of all this you know or of doing this series you know you got to see it adapted uh for tv what is what's something you learned from that experience and you know would you pursue adaptation again given the opportunity yeah it's like uh i want to make a snarky don't get don't get too attached is the lesson but I, it's just it's not really true though it's just more like it's a completely different world it's dealing with millions of dollars really like so it's like there's so many factors that have to do with that have that don't have to do whether it's a well-made show or not it, it, like like whether it gets a season two or you know because we had one season yeah. a lot of a lot of fans really liked it really thought it was a good representation of the comic book and of the era and rick was like heavily involved with you know he's he was writing episodes he was picking all the music for it he was really keeping it close to the comic book close to that era close to that that feeling of that era so he put a ton of work into it and to get one season out of it is a little bit, you know, it's, it's a little rough for sure. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a big commercial for the comic book. If they, I've met tons of people who go, I read, I watched the show first and then I came to the comic book from the show. So that's cool. Yeah. And uh, um, it seems to me like, like, yeah, I would, I would pursue that world for sure. Just because it's, again, it's just a big, it can be just a big, my, I'm all about comic books, really. I just want the comic books to do well, but like these things are kind of big opportunities for your comic book to reach your wider audience. And if it's done right, like, you know, the Invincible cartoon was done really well. Uh, there's a few examples along the way that have been like really good representations of, of the comic book and, um, and they help feed new readers into the comic book. So yeah, I would do that. But the thing that I've seen, not, not from firsthand uh, experience, but seeing Rick going, going through the whole thing is it's a ton of work, like not just the actual creation of the show, but just getting it 
past each each stage of production like like you're talking to the people you're talking to people in hollywood then you get to talk to the next level of people in hollywood then you get to talk to the execs and then they sign on then there's so many people that have to give the green light to make it happen it's it's just a, a lot of work a lot of meetings um meeting getting the right people involved that can really have the power in hollywood to get it made you know um so yeah, that's, that seems like a tough thing. So it's like, you got to commit to that, but it also mm-hmm. seems like really hard to actually get anything made unless you're willing to give it that commitment where you're, where you're the, like, no one's going to care about it. Like you care about it, you know? So mm-hmm. that's, that's, I think why Deadly Class got made is that Rick was on, was there being like pushing it through, like convincing people, telling people about it. Cause he, no one's going to have the heart that he has talking about it. Um, so that's a tough one. Cause it's like, to me, monthly comics, just doing the work sitting in, sitting your butt in the chair and, and getting the, the comic out on time is like that's hard enough as it is but to kind mm-hmm. of do the thing where you're trying to get into hollywood trying to make this thing happen that seems like a a, a lot of work you know um but yeah I, if the right people are up for it though yeah it seems like it's, it's something you kind of got to do you know mm-hmm. you hear that pixar kaya your <laughs> next feature <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly mm-hmm. Uh, but you know we're we're we kind of enter the the wind down. Uh, you know, you before image you did do a bunch of you know big two works. Not to say that you still don't every now and then, but uh, mm-hmm. you did the back a lot of the back half of the Abnett Landing Guardians of the Galaxy. Do you miss you know some of that corporate comics? You know, like being able to you know work for Marvel and DC to draw these iconic characters or is it kind of like, okay, it's time to, you know, create my own iconic characters. Yeah. I, the thing I've always wanted to do, I think it's again, from coming from that era when I saw image comics first come out when I was a little kid, I was like, that's my thing. You know, like I, I loved it so much. And, and there's been different eras that they've gone through where I've been, been really into not just the original creators of image, but later on when there was, you know, powers and kabuki and uh that kind of era mm-hmm. um and then and then more of the modern stuff of seeing uh, not just you know when we came out with deadly class there was east of west and sex criminals and saga and uh, a lot of really cool creators coming from uh from the big leagues to kind of do their own thing at image mm-hmm. so yeah i've always wanted to be here making my own world but at the same time yeah i love those 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 corporate characters i do love some of those characters i have real not all of them but like some of them i have a real affinity for and they're some of my favorite things of all time you know i love superman i love uh, i all always i don't want to draw teen titans necessarily but like i'll always have a love for those particular characters like the flash thor there's just certain like there's just for whatever reason there's certain characters that just kind of do it for you um and and that's it's the same thing with me but the thing i I think Guardians was really great because Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning really got to do their own take on it and really expand that world so in such a great, I mean, like all those movies, uh, you know, it's, it, if if they hadn't done the groundwork, I, I don't think those movies, they, you know, they wouldn't exist uh, if if Abnett and Lanning didn't give their their touches to that. And uh, there was, uh, I think the person who started Annihilation before that might've been Keith Giffen. Keith I'm, Giffen. Not, I'm not, it was yep. Keith Giffen, right? It yeah. Was. You know, so those people kind of started the ball rolling and made that that cosmic, re- reinvigorated that cosmic mm-hmm. part of the Marvel universe, you know, uh, after Jim Starlin and Starlin and all those guys made it in the 70s. Um, but uh, I would just say with that, it's kind of like what I would, what I wanted to do when I got in there is maybe one day I'll get to do my run on one of these characters um a little bit like when i was a kid i guess peter david on the hulk or again marv wolfman and george Prez on Teen titans or people that got these really long runs and sometimes you get it you know like ed brubaker got it on captain america and mm-hmm. for for a while there uh, there was like mad fraction had his run on certain characters bendis all these guys they they got their best whatever character they were really suited for and they really got to go with it for a while um but it seems currently a little bit harder to come by and for me, it's like, I guess I would like to just do my my own little take on some of the characters and not have to worry too much. It's, it sounds like a spoiled thing to say. It's like, oh, poor you. But like, like I just not to worry too much about ex- day-to-day continuity, like month-to-month continuity. And I just want to do a, a tight little 
tale about some of these characters and then go away. Like, uh, like some of my favorite versions of that is uh, like before Brian K. Vaughn did his, uh, did Saga and stuff like that. He did a few things at Marvel where it's like, he did this really cool Wolverine miniseries yep. and he did a, a Dr. Strange miniseries with Marcos Martin. And like, mm-hmm. like th- those are some of my favorite things where it's like, just do this four issue little thing that just tells a super cool little story about one of these characters. And then, and then and then just on to the next thing you know mm-hmm. like those I, I would love to do something like that and I felt when I was there maybe the opportunity would be more there now now that I've done Dudley Class and stuff like that maybe mm-hmm. it wasn't just wasn't there because I wasn't a, a a big enough name or recognized enough or whatever um, but at the time it didn't feel like anyone was going to give me that opportunity so it was like I was very happy to move on to the creator own world and, and stay there as long as, uh, as long as things were going good, you know, but yeah, I, I do have a few ideas again, a few ideas for some of those characters that maybe I'll, I'll take to Marvel and DC. And if they're interested in uh, that'd be great. If not, uh, that's, that's good too. <laughs> you mentioned Superman, one of the co-dippings into that pond you recently did was, uh, the boy who saved Superman in yeah. the Superman red and blue anthology. How did that story, the, the opportunity and the story itself kind of come about? Cause it was a great story and it was a grip from a great anthology. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. Great anthology for sure. I really liked some of those stories in there. They're, they're really cool. It's, a, and it's a lot of people you wouldn't necessarily see do, do those characters, you know, uh, or maybe didn't have the time to do it. They're doing a, a lot of image people too. They're doing monthly books, mm-hmm. but it's like, Hey, maybe I can do this five, six page story. Uh, I love, I love that kind of stuff. It's not, I, I don't know how well those things do those anthology style things do, but I, I personally, I love them. Um, and yeah, I was just, uh, uh, got contact for contacted from DC and I was really inspired by what Daniel Warren Johnson was doing where he was like, uh, he was like, if they contacted him to do something, he would be like, cool, but I want to write, I want to write and draw it, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to see what happens. Nothing bad from asking. And luckily they were like, yeah, cool. We're, we're, we're originally, they had pitched me something that I would just be the artist for. And I was like, I'd rather just, how about what if I could do something for something else that I could write and draw? Is there any opportunity there? And they said, yeah, we've got this, this, this Superman thing. And I was like, it's one of my favorite characters. I got more than enough ideas for that character so uh, it was more a matter of like which one should i pick you know and mm. that was that that seemed to fit that it's a very small amount of pages i was like okay, i can tell that story very quickly um and uh yeah i just kind of tried to think of something that would be an interesting kind of um uh you know looking at superman from another person's perspective again going back to will eisner and the spirit some of my favorite will eisner stories are when like the spirit is like a secondary character and he or he's like knocked out or something which is kind of what the superman thing is <laughs> mm-hmm. superman's knocked out and it's it's on this other person to save him you know so it's like that i didn't even really think about that until just this moment but that's that's probably <laughs> that's probably a huge influence is that it's like i love i love when when i loved when the spirit would be kind of just to the side and they're telling the story about some some member of that city instead uh so yeah it's a bit of that you know it's a bit of that kind of uh, everyday heroics kind of kind of thing you know like norm a normal person doing the heroic thing being inspired by superman so with a, a month to go before launch uh do you have a bunch of like conventions store signings uh stuff like that coming up uh yeah i've got uh the big one is new york comic con because that's the day before uh, uh, Kaya comes out October 5th and uh, New York Comic Con starts on the 6th. So that's kind of well-timed, well-timed hopefully, but there's all these like supply chain issues. So I'm, and I know, and I know some other people, it's like, we thought we were going to come out on this date, but it's actually going to be a week later, two weeks later. So that'll mess things up a little bit if that happens, (laughs) because I'll be like, I'll just have no comics for, I was planning on having a stack of Kaya's and maybe I won't have any of them, but hopefully that is not a problem. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to do Forbidden Planet in uh, New York City um, on the day of the launch on the on October 5th. And uh, and then New York Comic Con, I might do another signing in New York City while I'm there, actually, maybe in Brooklyn. I'm still talking to uh, talking to figuring out if that's going to work out or not mm-hmm. and doing a few here in Montreal, uh, local comic shops. But aside from that, yeah, it's. I did I did Chicago C2E2 a few weeks ago and then I did uh Toronto Fan Expo 
and now New York is number three. And that's, I'd like to do a ton more, but it's just between, again, deadlines and conventions. Mm-hmm. It's like, they don't mix, you know? So I was like, okay, what are the ones <laughs> that I have to do, but still won't, you know, but I can still produce this thing on a, and, and get it done. So right now it's like, this is September, all of September. September is just like getting as much Kaya done as I can. And then it's October, a little bit of time in New York. I gave myself an extra day on the tail end just to mm-hmm. take my time, have breakfast with my brother as we go from the, me and my brother always do the, do, do the New York one every year, nice. except for the, except for the last two years, obviously. Right. <laughs> um, but after, you know, we'll wake up, have some breakfast, take our time and make our way to the airport eventually. But uh, aside from that, yeah, it's just, just getting those, uh, getting, getting those pages done, you know? Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, penultimate question. Uh, what are you reading right now? Ooh, comic book wise. Uh, uh, any, anything, anything. Uh, let's see. I'm in my bedroom. I'm looking right beside I'm reading humankind by Rutger Bregman. I'm reading like two pages per night before I just, just pass out completely. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's a good, not because of the book, just because there's only so it's much like, my attention yeah. is just done. Yeah. I'm reading it to basically go to, to go to sleep. Although it's a fascinating book when I'm done deadly class, the last page, the next day, I'm going to take one day off and I'll read a big chunk of that book. But, uh, um, comic book wise though, I'm really enjoying department of truth is really good. Uh, um, I always look forward to all of the Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips books, mm-hmm. uh, you know, current, currently reckless, but I've, yep. I've got us all that whole run of everything. They've pretty much everything they've done. Always enjoy that team. And uh, what else is there? Let's see. I'm trying to think. I mean, going through some older stuff. Like I just got like Miracle Man number one, which I've always read pieces of the 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 Alan Moore one. You know, um, getting some older stuff. Like I, again, like I just read From Hell from the for, for the first time, uh, which is just like such an amazing book. So so so. I don't know if underrated is the word. I don't think it's underrated, but it's so. It's, it's not the first gory. thing everyone it's, says it's when pretty, like, it's you think of Alan Moore, but know? yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just as, I think it's just as good as Watchmen. It's just that Watchmen is superheroes and from hell is like really just messed up horror. So yeah. like, it's not, it's not going to take that, that top spot because it's a, it's a rough read, you know, it's not for everybody. Um, but it's, it's so good. And I just, I just finally went through the entire Akira, like from beginning to end, which mm-hmm. I have always, I've always read pieces of, but I never read like the whole thing, like from start to finish. So reading some old stuff and, and some new stuff, but I, I gotta, I gotta do a few more before I, uh, I can't just say, let's see, department of truth time before time, uh, from mm-hmm. image is really good. Uh, that first, the first issue of both of those, uh, Department of Truth and Time Before Time, are some of the two of the best like first issues I've read in quite a while. It's such a good like surprise hook at the end, and um, time travel stories are always kind of mess with my head. I was kind of like that, like how, mm. if they really, if they really screw with with you in terms of like you know, uh, was this always meant to happen? Just all the questions you ask yourself in time travel stories. Um, so yeah, that's that's those are big ones. And I'm looking forward to checking out the, uh, I always forget the name of it, but the Alex Ross uh, Fantastic Four book looks really crazy. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like very cool. And it's cool to see a guy that's been doing his own thing for so long. Um, uh, he could just keep doing that, but it's like, he's trying a new approach. His artwork is really, it's, it's a very different take on his artwork. So really like neon glowing kind of like black light poster kind of style of, of colors <laughs> and stuff so it, it's cool to see that it's cool to see somebody stretch themselves after so many years of, of doing their thing um, and being very successful at it you know so yeah i'm looking forward to that. i think that comes out like next week or something i'm looking forward to that well wes this has been a fantastic time final question before we release you back into the world how can people follow you online and keep up with kaya the end of deadly class and everything else that you have going on yeah, uh, so it's uh, final order cutoff for comic book shops, which is the last time comic shops get a chance to order a comic. That's September 12th. The Kaya number one comes out October 5th. And then I think the following week is the last issue of Deadly Class. It's weird. It's a bit weird to cross the streams that way. It's like uh, <laughs> Deadly Class should come out last. But again, Deadly Class the last issue was 38 pages. So it's just taking me a bit longer to get that one done mm-hmm. than originally planned. Um, and yeah, people can follow me on West at West Craig, uh, sorry, West Craig comics, uh, on all the social media stuff. 
And I have a newsletter and on, on social media, I, I post like a link to that where people can sign up for that. Um, so yeah, that's it. Uh, well, Wes, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, I really appreciate it, guys. Great conversation. Great questions. Uh, thanks a lot. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom, Chris's on Infinite Earths, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. Uh, P.S. Matt and Will, sorry I made you read White Knight again. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the ComicsXF staff picks. A $3 donation gets you access to our new bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Kat Purcell from ComicsXF, Liz Large from ComicsXF, Will Nevin from ComicsXF, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, the Forceworks character Sentry was apparently part of Combo Man. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.